0: Hey everybody! Just uh, one thing here before we get started with today's show, I wanted to extend a personal invite out to all the listeners out there—the many thousands of you—that um, we've offered to our Lions of Liberty Pride members. Um, if you know uh, previous guests on this show, Vin Armani, expert in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. he has a uh, a mystery school, Vin Armani's Bitcoin Mystery School. It's like a like a three day event, and Uh, We've arranged some special pricing um, for our Pride members, and we got a few more openings left. So this is a message out to current Pride members who haven't seen our posts on Facebook or Patreon that it's now open to the the whole Pride. If you're in the Pride, you can access this uh, special pricing. It's a 30% discount on his lowest price. And we got a few more slots left in this uh, this Pride-only group. So this is going to give you an opportunity to take this class with uh, Mark, Brian, and I, and other Pride members. You're going to learn a bunch of stuff. Um, I could read down this list. But essentially, the way that Vin describes it is, is you can come into this with almost no knowledge and, uh, and walk out of it. And you'll have more knowledge and be able to do more things than actual developers. So I'm excited for it. Uh, We want you guys to uh, take part in this with us. And uh, it'll be a really cool event. So all you have to do, really, is uh, join the Pride and tell us that you want in to Vin's uh, Mystery School, that, that private class. Or if you're in the Pride... Just uh send us a message, um, you know reach out on Facebook or wherever wherever you talk to us and uh, let us know if you want in. So that's it. Oh yeah, um, one more thing. if you do obviously need to join the Pride, So if you need to do that, go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, join the pride then you can tell us to uh, that you want in the school. So all right, that's it. Let's get to the show.
1: We are born free and we will die free. The time in between though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman.
0: All right. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Pleasure to have everybody here. I want to uh, sort of introduce and prep you guys for this show. Got a great interview with Scott Horton, which is going to be the majority of this show. But uh, I, th- I feel like I have uh, something I owe the audience here to give a little background on what happened at the Pennsylvania um, Libertarian Party Convention over the weekend, which I attended and uh, also attended the Mises Caucus Take Human Action Bash, which was Friday and, uh, and Saturday night. So, if you want to hear a more uh, intensive uh, overview, which I highly recommend listening to, where I go into great detail about everything that happened and the history that that I know of um, uh, with uh, with the party in Pennsylvania and uh, talking about those things, please do. I did an interview with uh, Dan Smotz of the System Is Down podcast, which is airing today on the eighteenth, the same day this is publishing. And it tr- I won't be up first thing in the morning, but s- sometimes during the day it'll publish. So check that out. I, w- I will link to it on the show notes page once it, uh, it is published. And that's where I will go into, into more depth. But just a high level view, a couple things I want to put on the table. So my background with, Li- with the Libertarian Party. First, uh, I joined the Libertarian Party in 2018. Um, I got involved in a U.S. Senate campaign for Dale Kearns. I became his campaign manager. I met a lot of great people in the Pennsylvania Libertarian Party. A lot of people, a lot of people working hard to grow liberty, you know, getting systems down to gather signatures and, uh, you know, run candidates and work the polls and people just working their ass off. And I've, I've still do. I mean, even after what happens past weekend, have a lot of respect for those people and how much they care about the party and how much they care about liberty and, uh, and spreading this message. So, high-level view of, uh, of the weekend here that we had in front of us, or now is behind us, is we had the dueling events, the reason for the dueling events, why you had Dave Smith and uh, Scott Horton, and then on Saturday night, you had Michael Rechtenwall and Anthony Sammerhoff and uh, Jeff Deist, and a great weekend all around. Incredible weekend, just with those speakers, completely separated from uh, from the actual convention itself, but... Let's talk about what happened. So I don't know the details. I'm not going to mention people's names of of who did what. And a lot of it, I just don't know. So I'll just say what what I do know. I know that uh, Dave Smith was not approved to speak at the Pennsylvania Libertarian Party convention. Uh, They didn't want him to speak there. So Michael Heiss decided with the Mises Caucus to put together a separate event and uh, there's a lot of momentum in the state. The Mises Caucus is growing like crazy. This has been going on for months. It's been growing, even my local chapter, which has really never been growing in Allegheny County, which is the county of Pittsburgh is in. We've been getting new people showing up to meetings and on our Zoom calls, which we had for a while, obviously during the pandemic um, when things were not open. But uh, so it, it's it's great. People coming back to the party who uh, who, who weren't here before because of the Mises Caucus. All this great stuff is happening. And uh, so Michael Heiss, obviously, you know, was, was disappointed that, that Dave couldn't talk. So he, so he starts organizing for this separate event. And uh, obviously, it ended up happening. Now, the view from a lot of the people in the party was that the Mises Caucus was trying to take away from the weekend. They were trying to uh, upstage the, the party or, or something like that. Or a lot of members that I talked to actually thought that you know they weren't invited. They couldn't. They couldn't just go. When which I don't know whose fault that is. Maybe it wasn't communicated well enough. I don't know. But uh, the truth of the matter is, anybody who was a uh, member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania could just walk in and uh, attend for free. It was it was free to all members to to attend any or all of or whatever portion they want to of the Take Human Action bash. Um, so a lot of people didn't understand that part of it, I think. And my perspective from the beginning and uh, looking at this was this is incredible. So there's never been a libertarian event of any kind uh, of any substance in Pittsburgh since I've been a libertarian in 2018. It's big out libertarian. I was small out before that. And uh, now we've got two in the same weekend. We have We have two events going to bring a lot of people in. So it was exciting for me. I looked at it that way. Apparently a lot of people did not. Let's get into it. So what happens Friday night? Mises Cockett's event happens. It is packed. I show up. It's wall to wall there. Uh, Hotel ballroom, totally full of tables. People stand along the wall. There's no place for me to sit. I showed up late, of course. One of the first people I bumped into was was Dave Smith just uh, meandering around talking to people drinking a beer in the hallway. Uh, Dave helpfully pointed me to the uh, correct direction where I could uh, grab a beer at the bar, which was which was awesome. and uh, I wanted to interview Dave after you know after his talk and he said, cool, let's do it unless things get crazy, it shouldn't be a problem. Um, so fast forward to what happened. Scott gives his talk, crushes it, talking about obviously the situation in Israel with Gaza and uh, really the media manipulation of that entire event and all the propaganda that's been going on for years with that situation and just cutting through the narrative. And I I don't need to tell you. Scott's going to talk about all that. Anyway, um, Dave comes up on stage and Dave crushes, man, just so he was so on. And this is the first time I've seen Dave speak publicly. I've seen his, uh, you know, his comedy performances, you know, videos of it, whatever. But uh, you know, he's engaged with the crowd. People are yelling stuff out. He's, you know, responding to them. They're coming right back on the message. He has a, you know, a bunch of points that he's going through from ending the wars, ending genocide, ending the war on drugs, ending lockdowns, um, ending, uh, you know, these big bank bailouts and. I I think I actually started it in the Fed chant at one point, which was freaking awesome. But people are going nuts. People are banging on tables. I'm banging on a wall. The energy in the room, it was indescribable. I mean, it was, I keep saying this, I, I get goosebumps talking about it. It was, and uh, I, I told this to Scott and I, I made it, tweeted it out after the event. It's one of those events that people are going to look back on a year from now, two years, five years from now, whatever, and be like, that was when it started, man. That was that night in Pittsburgh. That's when this thing really got rolling. You know, that that's when the 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 new revolution. You know, that that's when the Ron Paul revolution, uh, you know, woke up and uh, and came to life right before our eyes again. It was that big of a, of a moment and uh, positive positivity. You know, people just uh, having a good time and laughing and talking to each other, making new friends, seeing friends that you've you know seen on Twitter or Facebook, or whatever, and making that connection, getting that real life connection. Nobody's wearing a mask. It was, it was, nobody is wearing a mask. Phenomenal. And uh, so, so that was Friday night. That was the energy Friday night. Fast forward to Saturday. Show up Saturday and, you know, things are uh, very different. Um, high stress, I would say. And I'll go through this real quickly, what happened for different groups of people and the way Pennsylvania allows people to vote. Let me explain it as quickly as I can. So in Pennsylvania, out-of-state Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania members are allowed to vote as long as they've been a member for at least 180 days. Now, in-state party members are allowed to vote as long as they are a party member and they are registered Libertarian. Of course, the out-of-state people cannot register Libertarian. In-state people, they need to be registered Libertarian and with the party. And there is a rule, there's a bylaw that they must have been a member of the party for 180 days. That's for out-of-state and in-state. So traditionally, always, every time, never heard it different in any state, that rule is always waived, and I've always seen it waived in a very casual way where it's just a, uh, you know, raising your hands or standing up to, to say that you support waiving the rule. Bam, it's waived, and you go into your official party business. Um, what happened here, and I was actually interviewing Scott during a part of this, so I actually missed that vote. Luckily, it didn't come down to one vote. Or I would be kicking myself in the ass. But what happened was they had – so, so there, were, there were ballots that you got ahead of time for because we were going to be voting on chair and, and uh, the, there's three vice chairs for each region in the state and treasurer, secretary, blah, 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 judicial committee, all that stuff. And so you have all that stuff on, on your ballots. They also had a ballot for the 180-day rule, which I'd never seen before. Maybe that's normal. I don't know. I'd never seen it before. So they did a secret ballot for the 180-day rule. And what ends up happening, that's only the people who, the only people who were allowed to vote in that were ones that met that that rule, met that threshold. So people excluded were anybody who had joined within the last 180 days. Um, out-of-state people who had been in more than 180 days were allowed to vote, which there were at least 20, 25 of them who were voting. All, all the in-state people um, were, were, were allowed to vote as well. So what happened was... They uh, did not waive the rule. They voted not to waive the rule, so that kept out those members. Of those members, there were, I think 20 of which, something like that, which had not registered libertarian with the state in a timely manner. They were using some date because there's a primary on on Tuesday, today, the 18th, that you had to register a certain amount of time. I don't know. Some people were blocked out from that. Some people were blocked out because of the they'd registered within the last 180 days. And uh, so the end of the story is about 115 people were allowed to vote and like 150 or 170 were blocked out. A lot of them Mises Caucus people, a lot of them not. A lot of them just people who joined the Libertarian Party. Some of them are actually on the ballot today running in, um, running in races and in special elections. And they're allowed to be on a ballot and there are, people can vote for them. On a ballot as a libertarian, but they were not allowed to vote in the liberty at the Libertarian Party convention in Pennsylvania. That's how insane it is. Um, it was just crazy. There were I won't t- tell every story, but there were people who had done some awesome things. Uh, Rob Grizzly, who's a, a local guy in uh, in Pittsburgh, has you know just been doing a killer job doing outreach in Allegheny County, the county that, that I'm in and uh, bringing new people into the party, going to colleges, universities, talking to people. He paid for the bus that brought people from the uh, the hotel where the convention was to uh, the uh, restaurant where they had a social. And he showed up at the, uh, at the convention and was setting up tables and chairs and all that stuff. He wasn't allowed to vote. So th- there were a lot of people. I can't go through everybody. There were a lot of people like that. And these stories are being told. And at the end of the day, uh, they... They they were able to uh, to to silence those people and just those 115 people, myself included, um, were allowed to vote on on the party business. They did also extend, so they they tried to extend the term of the uh, of the board, the chair and vice chairs and everything, um, from one year to two years, which they did get it through. But there was an amendment added on, which instead of it going into effect in twenty, instead of next year going into effect, which would have made this year a two-year term, the first two-year term to continue, it it doesn't go into effect until 2023 now. So essentially what they were probably trying to do was extend the, the current board's term. So, okay, now that's out of the way. My opinion on everything that happened, I want to reiterate, I do not have any ill will for what really happened and the actions people took, many of whom are friends of mine, many of whom... Who I will, many of whom are in my local chapter, and I will see them this Wednesday, and we will have our meeting. It's going to be fine. Um, there is a a fear of a takeover, and I think the fear people are fearful for um, if the messaging is going to change. They're fearful of you know things they don't understand. So there are many loud people in the caucus, uh, or many loud people. In other caucuses, and in the Mises Caucus, who uh, get get in these you know high profile arguments, and uh, you know a lot of untruthful things are said. And of course, you've heard the things that you know people calling Tom Woods a Nazi, you know Dave Smith racist, all all this crazy crazy stuff, which is absolutely baseless baseless stuff. Um, if you just do any sort of research into Tom, Dave, Ron Paul, any of these people. They're not freaking racist. And it's absurd, <laughs> absurd to, to make that statement. But that doesn't stop uh, loser brigade, as, as Dave calls them, from, from saying that stuff. Essentially, what we were left with was, you know, about 50 in-state people and 20 out-of-state people voted to elect the current board, voted in favor of, of you know, the, uh, the current board members favored uh, nom- nominated uh, uh, board members. And people who were friendly to the Mises caucus or, or whatever, um, who voted against that, were not able to get any, you know, lost the chair race, lost vice chairs, lost treasurer, secretary. We we're able to get some on judicial committee, which is cool. But, uh, so that, that's how that ended up shaking out. And it's just really crazy to me. Um, and I think, I think in Pennsylvania, we'll, we'll get past this pretty quickly, but people, there's a lot of questions I'm getting is, well, you know, why does the Mises Caucus need to have a separate caucus? Why can't they just be the Libertarian Party? And I mean, for many different reasons, and I don't want to get into it here, but I think the biggest thing for me, which pushed me towards the Mises Caucus, and I should say Lions of Liberty, the brand, um, we do not support caucuses. Um, the person who's behind the microphone talking right now, um, I do Uh, Support the Mises Caucus. I'll just say that. Um, I haven't always, um, but this did push me towards that. So, and it's pushed others who I've talked to. Um, But I I do think that's where where the energy is. And what it is, it's about, um, it's really about branding, it's about messaging. And the LP, status quo LP, we'll call it, which don't take this the wrong way, status quo people or people have been with the party for. You know, a, a long time. The messaging has—I I don't think—has been good. The messaging is not something that you can start a movement behind. Um, you're not going to start a movement behind uh, trimming, you know, trimming the branches of a uh, of a dead tree. Uh, you got to get the root, and you got to pull that tree out of the ground, and you got to plant a new tree. And you know, we need someone out there who's going to be not just someone. We need lots of people in the party. And you don't have to join the Mises Caucus. I mean, there's. I've said this many times, I think there's a need for that Mises Caucus message, a clear message of anti-war, ending the war on drugs, um, ending coercive taxation, really ending all uh, state co- coercive measures, and j- just getting that out there. There's a need for that. There's also, there's also a need for uh, you know, people come at it a different way, <clears throat> maybe more of a Gary Johnson or a uh, Joe uh, Jorgensen-type messaging. There's plenty of room for that. Not everyone is going to be attracted to Liberty from the same message. So we need multiple messages. And the thing that I took away from what happened is a little bit of fear of competition. And I understand where the current board and the new board, um, where, where they're coming from. I'll say this, they've done a fantastic job of building a great foundation. Uh, The state of the party when I came in in 2018 was not good. It was in shambles, really. I mean, to be perfectly honest. And the board came in or or new leadership came in and they've done some great things. And I think simply what happened was you had people working hard um, in Pennsylvania and you had this perfect sort of timing event of... A great infrastructure being laid in in place with now finally some some mailers being sent out postcards with candidates' names on it outreach people um, bringing you know winning elections it's amazing you have winning elections in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania has the most elected libertarians so that's all happening you have the Joe Jorgensen campaign happening you have the Mises caucus growing and you have. It's funny that this happened. It happened in Pittsburgh. You have the confluence, the confluence of all of these coming together, just like the rivers join at the point in Pittsburgh. And what I thought was going to happen was it would just turn into a stronger, a stronger river. And I think that's what ultimately will happen. You know, these uh, these tributaries, these th- these rivers will will join up. It's going to happen, obviously. We'll join together to form a stronger party in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I harbor no ill will for what happened. I understand the motivations. I understand there is some fear about the intentions of the, the Mises caucus. I do not have any of those same fears because I know everybody involved. Um, are there... Idiots and assholes in the Mises Caucus. Yes, there's idiots and assholes in every caucus. So, but but the core group. I mean, the, the people who are in leadership, the people who are working their working their tails off uh, for the message. What it comes down to for me. I mean, Dave Smith, tremendous messenger, and he's going to be helping to craft and and uh, and develop this message. And why would you not want to bring the Dave Smith, the the Tom Woods into this movement? when they are so good at explaining the ideas of liberty. So I've been talking a lot. This has been 20 minutes. I did not want to go this long at all. Please go. I go into even more detail, and I probably say it in a more measured and coherent way. Go listen to the System Is Down podcast with Dan Smotz. Speaking of great messengers for Liberty, let's get into this interview with Scott Horton. And it starts kind of abruptly. Um, what happened was, testing out audio, Scott and I were having an off, off-the-record conversation. And bam, like Scott does, all of a sudden, it just launched into uh, foreign policy. And luckily, I was recording, so I captured it right at the right time where it starts. And uh, you guys are going to love this.
1: Uh, enjoy. Even bin Laden had to steal our own fucking planes to crash into us. Think fucking Iraq is going to attack America? Like, you have to be swimming in bullshit to believe that. Fucking Arkansas could defeat Iraq alone. You're telling me that the fucking USA isn't safe? Give me a fucking break. We're number one, except when we're terrified hiding in the basement from a third world dictator who's not even saying he's going to do anything wrong, right? They fucking found out later the CIA fucking interrogator fucking figured out at the time that they invaded saddam hussein was writing a romance novel and had delegated his entire government to habush and sabri oh by the way habush and sabri were fucking cia agents and who are you know not officers but fucking informants and fucking were like they were the ones they had told bush and told the cia and told everybody we don't have any weapons we don't have any ties to al-qaeda we're running the government and we're loyal to you
0: well, this, this is going to be the start of the interview. I'll just pick it up when you start talking about it. You're going to have to edit that in somewhere. I'll, yeah, I'll edit the beginning part <laughs> out. we will just start with that. We're here with, uh, with Scott Horton in Pittsburgh, Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania convention. Last night, him and Dave Smith uh, headlined Mises Caucus event, the Take Human Action Bash, which was freaking incredible. But what did you think, Scott? I mean, last night, oh how, how would you sum
1: it up? I couldn't believe it how many people were there. Um, I mean, I was expecting a pretty good party. You know, I don't know. I've been, you know, maybe motivated by a little anxiety. i had been kind of retweeting some things. I interviewed Dave on my show about it to try to get, like, anybody subscribed to my podcast, be sure to hear that. And then tried to retweet that out a few times. Of like, let's make sure and get some turnout for this thing. And I show up, and, man, the place is packed. It was like 300, 350 people. And I can believe the energy in there. It was just incredible, dude.
0: Yeah, I, I sent out a, a tweet last night that uh, tagged you and Dave. And honestly, this is one of those things where years from now, a year from now, two years from now, people are going to be lying about being in that room because people. I think people are going to look back and be like, "Well, this is when it started. That's when it started. It Started that night in Pittsburgh." And I, I, I'm getting goosebumps like talking about that right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, listen, I mean, and everyone will see the video eventually. You know, uh, before or after they hear this interview of Dave Smith's talk up there. But he just absolutely killed it. I mean, the guy's got so much charisma, you know, he made every single important point that he needed to make and just, um, you know, and I was in the back of the room by then and watching everybody else's reaction to him and just, dude, he is a fucking superstar. We haven't had, you know, he is the equivalent of, of what we had with Harry Brown and with Ron Paul and this you know, a real leader for our movement and to represent us to the rest of the country. Uh, this is who we are. This is what we care about.
0: He's Ron Paul with comedic timing. Not that Ron Paul's not funny, but I mean, you know, right. it's what Dave can take, you know, someone shouting from the audience and just turn
1: it around into a joke and then go right back into it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. He's so quick on his feet and and he's so articulate, too, like, um, Well, for me, for example, just saying like um blah blah, he doesn't do that. He speaks in perfect paragraphs with no stutters, no stumbles, doesn't restart his sentence and try again. Uh, He gets all the way through where I know I would have stumbled and he does not stumble. He gets all the way through it perfect, you know, and just like he's reading a script but he's not. He's Mm -hmm. just on it. And um you know, I was totally blown away, totally absolutely proud of him, and um and I think you're right that it's certainly a turning point that like from and you know i guess we'll see how the results go with the voting today inside the pennsylvania libertarian party i sure would like to see the results of the the voting today kind of prove us out that this is really the wave of the future which i think it is across the country whether we're i think regardless yeah regardless yeah i mean it's 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 a huge movement and uh and it's going it yeah you're right it's it's really just coiled ready to pounce ready to start you know yeah
0: it's it's a it's a crazy time to uh to be seeing it but last night your speech you brought the house down first and I, I liked the beginning you got heckled from the front row a little bit what was yeah. that
1: what did that lady Aww. say about 30 years olds or kids uh you know I really wish I'd been better prepared for that <laughs> um how do you but prepare it's... for that like, Nick Sarwak actually said to me today, ah, the wisdom of the staircase, right? Because I thought of like four or five great things I could have said after it was too late. You know what I mean? Especially like later that night. I was like, oh, you know, I could have called her a Karen or I could have called her, I could have said, oh, Karen needs to speak to the manager. Can we get the manager over here for this lady? Or I could have said, like, oh, introducing front row lady. She's going to give a speech. Come on up here, front row lady, and tell us all about it. You can have your say before me. I'll go after you. You go ahead. I could have played it off a hundred different ways better than I did. And instead, I just was like, oh, great, a Zionist troll in the audience. Something like. I don't even think I was clever enough to call her a troll. I forgot what I said. It worked. Then, it worked. And, yeah, her objection was from the very beginning, as soon as I started speaking, I'm like, look, the, you know, there's been uh, was 127 uh, Palestinians killed, including 27 children, and she cries out, "They count anybody up to age 30 as a child." And I was like, "Oh God, that's another thing I could have said was really that's funny because my Twitter feed is full of pictures of burnt baby corpses, lady, fuck you that's, yeah, that's, you know that's, that's the- Yeah, seriously. Oh, and by the way, yeah, it's perfectly fine to murder a 30-year-old, right? Like, uh, I don't know. We don't have laws against murdering 30-year-olds because they're fair game to hunt and down and kill, right? I don't know what, you know? And then, so she got up and left. And I encouraged her to like, what are we going to do? You're going to sit here and talk through my talk all night? You know what? Like, what are we going to do? You can go ahead and leave. Or I don't know. I told her, stick around. You might learn something. Of course, she had no interest in doing so another line I could have used was like, you see, everybody, this is what they call cognitive dissonance, right? It's this lady's having an emotional breakdown because she knows she's about to hear some shit about the side she takes murdering children. And so she has to lie to herself and tell herself that a baby is a 30-year-old and, and say that everyone who knows better than her is a damn liar. Because otherwise, what? She would have to cry and pray to God for forgiveness for her horrible sin right yeah because that's what that's what the media or that's what fox news is feeding her yeah and they and she's you know sick with bloodlust and you know power corrupts power makes people stupid and and um and you know partisanship as i said last night partisanship is the mind killer you pick your side the other side's evil and your side's great and this kind of crap and that's the way people think it's childish frankly stupid and silly like I mean, for example, have you ever heard anyone say, dude, Hamas ain't that bad. They're great. This is a paraphrase of someone not ever saying this, by the way. Don't quote me out of context. God it. Have you ever heard anyone say, oh, Hamas, they're pretty good guys, blah, blah. Anything like that ever I, in your I, I life? have not, but I'm sure somebody said it. Nah. <laughs> Nobody ever defends Hamas. Like you could defend them on the fact that they are not merely a terrorist group mm-hmm. or an armed faction. They are a political faction and a pseudo government. They're guilty as hell of using even suicide terrorist tactics in the past. And, you know, I mean, they have unguided rockets, homemade rockets that, you know, who knows exactly what they're aiming at. But innocent civilians are killed by them at times, you know, and their rule in the Gaza Strip is not, you know, a representative democracy with with, uh, you know, full protections for all people and whatever. It's a tyranny of sorts. Nobody, nobody is on the side of Hamas, right? We'll just clarify that, look, even Hamas says they would recognize Israel if you'd let them have independence already, right? Or we'll say, look, they're firing rockets, but it ain't like they're armed to the teeth with Iranian missiles, right? You got casualties in the single digits on the Israeli side and the triple digits on the Palestinian side immediately. You know, there's disproportionate power here. Now, if you're a hawk, you go, oh, you love Hamas, you're a terrorist, and how come you love Hamas so much, and how come you hate Jews so much, and a bunch because of crap? Because it's, it's black right? or white, it's you one know, or the other. Because there's no way to just actually argue the point and win it, right? And so that's why Zionism always, constantly, and you have probably already noticed this, and you will continue to notice this for the rest of your life, is soaked through with dishonesty from beginning to end, from dawn till dusk, every day. Hasbara doesn't mean we go out and tell the truth about ourselves so that everyone will like us, right? Hasbara, this public explanation, uh, is essentially, it's all PR spin to try to cover up for murder and lies and simple land rustling, as we call it in Texas, you know? You can't steal people's land. You get justice for that, you know? It's simple, honest, direct terminology to describe the situation. And that's why, you know, Caitlin Johnstone had a great uh, article the other day where she says, on one side, you have people going, oh my God, this is terrible. And on the other side, you have people going, wait, actually, it's more complicated than you think. Okay, what do you have here, right? You have victims who are being honestly assessed as such by honest people. And then you have people who are providing public relations for a tyranny on the other side. What it's complicated, you know? And and that's why they lie and look at the entire narrative about these things. Like, oh, Hamas started firing rockets. Well, that's not what happened. What happened was there was an ethnic cleansing campaign in East Jerusalem, and then there was an armed Israeli security force attack on the Muslims praying at the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the last day of Ramadan, and then two days later, they did it again and injured 300 people, including women, with flashbang grenades and smoke grenades and rubber bullets, and, you know, there was a riot, but the cops had provoked it and started cracking skulls. And Hamas said, if you don't pull off of, pull your troops, your forces, away from the Al-Aqsa Mosque by dusk or whatever it was that, I forgot exactly their time limit, then the rockets will start, Okay. That's not the same thing as, well, they started firing rockets. No. First, there was an ethnic cleansing campaign in East Jerusalem. Then there was an attack on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then there was rocket attacks. And by the way, you notice also how they always bait and switch, that now Palestine is an independent country. Oh, it's the Palestinians, as though they're referring to a state army. The Palestinians, the country next door, is attacking us. What if Mexico started firing rockets yeah, across the border? That analogy
0: you gave last night, man—that's that what they say. That was so on point. With yeah, it, it's not like that at all, right? That's right. right. It's, it's
1: not. It's, it's this. These are the Navajo, right, yeah. in their reservation. Or another metaphor is um, Attica prison riot, and they're you know against Governor Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. You know where they're if somebody's firing rockets over the wall of a prison. That's not really the same as being attacked by a sovereign nation state, is it? No, it's not. And, and, you know, in that analogy, what's Hamas other than the trustees in an Israeli open air concentration camp where these Gazans, 80% of whom are refugees, 50% of whom are under the age of 18. Really? And all of whom are guilty of nothing other than not being born Jewish. That's why they're there. And they're in a concentration camp and they cannot leave. They have no airport, no seaport, no trade. They're under total siege since 2007, under total siege for the crime of a small percentage of them voted for Hamas in an election that Condoleezza Rice forced them to have. And an election that Israel possibly accidentally, if you look at the way they reacted to the results of it, rigged for Hamas against Fatah. Why why would they rig it for Hamas? I mean, honestly, well, there's two answers. To me, the simplest explanation is it was bad policy. They were in the middle of punishing Fatah for one reason or another. And, you know, the Israelis control the entire economy of the West Bank. So they're able to just put full, they have total control over the taxation, and, uh, which all the taxes come from, like, border crossing tariffs and stuff into, into the uh, West Bank. And so the Israelis collect all that money and then transfer it to the Palestinian Authority, which is really Arafat's old PLO grew into the pla which is the pseudo government of the west bank under Israeli and american control and that we pay for and that works for the israelis not for the palestinians
0: is that where the 200 million dollars that went recently
1: under the biden administration is that where it went to uh Do you know what I'm talking I about? oh yeah no i'm not sure about that in detail i think most of that was just direct aid actually like you know food aid and this okay. kind of thing that that trump had called off I'd be surprised if Trump had canceled support for the Palestinian police. I don't think that that's right, you know, or if he did, he made sure the Israelis were covering it because they, the PA works for the Israelis essentially. And so, but Fatah is the ruling. That's the PLO, Yasser Arafat's old group. They are the dominant force inside the Palestinian authority. So what the Israelis did was they withheld all that tax money and didn't give it to Fatah. So they couldn't pay off their patronage, right? They couldn't buy up their votes that they needed to buy up. And then... They held the election and Hamas won. And as I explained last night, and you can read the article, is called The Gaza Bombshell by David Rose in Vanity Fair, about how originally they barely won and they had to form a coalition government. But then the Americans, the Israelis, and the Egyptians worked together to try to do a coup d'etat and arm Fatah in the Gaza Strip to attack Hamas and destroy them. But that backfired and Hamas won. And then, only then did they conquer, so-called conquer, you know, Um, take authority over the entire Gaza Strip and then only then the siege came after that and then the idea that we're supposed to entertain is all of these Palestinians are collectively guilty for a vote that only kind of went half bad in Mm. 2006 2006 15 years years ago when at that time the majority of the population of the Gaza Strip were children under the age of 18 not under the age of 30 under the age of 18. Yeah. The majority of them were minors, okay? Now it's about 50-50. Why, why, now, how could they possibly be collectively guilty for supporting Hamas? Why was their population there... skewed skewed that much? Any idea why it was skewed that much to be minors? Because they have very high birth rates, yeah. you know? Because that's their one way of fighting back, making sure that they stay here, is staying pregnant, you know? Because they don't have anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I'm not justifying these rocket attacks. But the reality is, in law, never mind just simple morality, if you just look, do it like this take the shoe and put it on the other foot. It's the Palestinian, Arab, Muslims, and Christians who have rounded up all the Jews and put them in a concentration camp in the Gaza Strip, directly analogous to the Warsaw Ghetto or something like that, worse than Manzanar. Um, and, 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 Just as bad as the occupied territory in the West Bank. If any of this was happening at the hands of the Palestinian Arabs against the Israeli Jews, the West would go to war. We wouldn't put up up with that for a minute. The United States of America wouldn't put up with that for one minute. Okay, that's almost all you need to know right there. But in the law, again, keep the shoe on the other foot. It's the Israeli Jews who are all herded into the gaza ghetto because of the crime of being born of the wrong religion and then their people are being ethnically cleansed out of jerusalem and their people are being attacked while they're praying at the western wall and then they start firing rockets over the wall from gaza who's the aggressor there there's really not much question about it is it and um and look again, innocent civilians on the Israeli side have been killed in this. I'm not justifying that, but I'm just analyzing the reality. My, I'm Howard Cosell here, okay? My job is calling the score so people understand who's who, right? I'm not taking the side of Hamas, I'm taking the side of the Palestinian civilians. They are the ones and in fact Hamas for that matter, legally speaking, they are the ones under international law who have the right to resist. People say, the Israelis have the right to defend themselves. You see what a propaganda technique that is? Mm -hmm. They're begging the question. They're arguing past the sale. They're assuming their conclusion that what we're seeing here is self-defense. But they haven't proven that part of the argument yet. It's right? evil, evil persuasion, That's right. really. That's yeah. right. They're just being, again, soaked through with dishonesty because they can never be honest because the truth is has a terrible anti-Israeli position on all of these matters. Simple as that. And so they have to spin it and, and turn it that way. Go ahead, Sorry. I
0: was going to say, and when it's explained, as you're explaining it here, it's not complicated. That's I mean, right. it is straightforward. And if you had you know, Fox News or CNN or any of those channels explain it that way, people would understand it. But everyone is so, you know, the propaganda is so strong that people cannot get past this binary view, good or bad, good or bad. Right. And I, I mean, the question is, like, how, how does this ever
1: end? Education is the key. You know, um, there's a website about this crisis um, called If Americans Knew. And the premise being that Americans don't know. And if they did, man, they would be on our side. And I believe that. I have to tell you, man, and um, I was explaining this to Dave in in his show last night, that I know from my own experience, as interested in politics as I've always been, in Middle East politics, even all through the 90s, when I was obsessed with Bill Clinton's war against the Iraqis, for example, that whole time I still put off learning about Israel-Palestine. I put it off and I put it off and I put it off because... Oh, God gave us this land! No, God gave us this land, and it just seems like this they spin it as this ancient kind of perennial conflict. it never goes away. Everyone is invoking a supernatural property right, so in other words, there is no real right answer, and there never will be a satisfactory answer and you know, I don't know um and they you know they really never show, especially on t v they never show here is who is occupying who here is who is on whose side if you look at a map of israel mm-hmm. it looks like the arabs invaded and stole a chunk out of it right mm-hmm. with the west bank but no that's all that's left of the land that the israelis conquered from the palestinians is the west bank and that tiny little gaza strip they go the arabs just want to push all the israeli jews into the sea and kill them all they're besieged and surrounded by all si- on all sides But that's not true. Zoom out and look. You have Egypt, a friendly dictatorship, backed by America to the south and backed by Saudi and Israel. You have Jordan to their east. You have helpless Syria that they've been bombing every day for 10 years straight who haven't fought back yet because they have no ability to whatsoever. And you have Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. The rest of the Lebanese government is completely compliant. And Hezbollah is essentially a defensive force. They're a political party, but also an armed force. But they're not an offensive threat to invade northern Israel, and no one pretends that they are. They're armed enough to keep Israel out of Lebanon is the kind of threat that they pose. That's it. Are they really, though? I mean, if Israel... Well, you know, Israel tried to invade in 2006, and Hezbollah kicked their ass and forced them right back out again. And then so... Now, if they really brought all their power to bear, it would be different. They didn't go full scale, but on the scale that they went, they got their butts kicked and turned around and fled because his really, you know, it was a total asymmetric warfare, right? It's guys with handheld weapons against tanks, but with new and improved tactics, and so they did well in that one, but... But in other words, though, look, Iraq obviously is no threat. Saddam Hussein's regime never was. It absolutely could never have been after 1991 when Bush Sr. absolutely carpet bombed his armored divisions off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And seriously, if Iraq in 1990 had gone full scale invasion, not to Kuwait, but to across Jordan to Israel, Israel would have beat their ass in a day. Full scale war in 1990. And when Saddam Hussein's military was at its peak. And the, and the Israelis would have had American resupply all along. But if it had just been them, never mind us jumping in on their side. The Israelis had the armed force. And look at what American air power did to Saddam Hussein's our, our tank divisions. Completely decimated them. Right. Right? There's no way they're getting across the Jordan River. There's Just, just forget about it. They can never. okay. Um, and then that's it. right? Look at the map of the Middle East. There's no... Arab Muslim hordes coming to push the Israeli Jews into the Mediterranean Sea. It's just not true. And in fact, I forget the guy's name now, but you can look this up. The guy that coined the phrase, we're going to push all the Jews into the sea, was actually a Mossad agent in Egypt who said that. He was an Israeli spy who coined that phrase. It was never, ever uttered as a legitimate threat by any Arabs against them in the first place. And then, but here's the thing. Now zoom in, John. And that story about the poor besieged people surrounded by enemies being threatened always to be pushed into the sea and annihilated, that's the Palestinians of the Gaza Strip. They're the ones who are surrounded and besieged in this tiny little helpless strip of land with no allies, no one cares about them, no one defends them. And, and you know, the, the, if, if they try to fish more than three miles off the coast, the Israelis will sink them. You know, back when we had the refugee crisis of 2015 and 16, you had people, where are the refugees coming from? Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, Syria, and Iraq. Any of those countries ring a bell? Sound familiar to you? Well, where all these people were fleeing from? And did I say Yemen? Because they're Yemenis yeah, too. Yeah, you yeah. know who wasn't included in that? The Palestinians. You know why? Because they're locked in a prison and they can't, and get, they out, can't yeah. get out. Or they would have joined. They would have been fleeing to Turkey, too. At least some of them. You know, there's some who would rather die there than, than give up one more inch of land. But um, it's craziness. Man. It is. Look, and this has to be addressed. And I, I don't know if I really I don't think I addressed this in, in the interview with Dave or in my speech last night. I think maybe I did talk about it with Dave. I don't know. But I'm talking about it with you. A huge part of this is about race. Me and Dave did talk about this a little bit. Okay. The ruling caste in Israel, it's only 20% are Ashkenazi Jews from Europe. They're whiter. Now, the 80% of Israeli Jews are Middle Eastern. They came from Egypt or from Iraq or other places in the region. Um, I'm pretty sure those numbers are right. I'm I'm almost certain it's 20%. So there's almost like a a caste system? There there is Mm -hmm. uh, very much a a kind of ruling elite and, and... you know, just like here and just like in Latin America, the whites are dominant, right? The more Spanish you are in Latin America and less Mexican you are, the closer to power you get in almost every state, right? It's the same kind of thing uh, in this case. And so, but Benjamin Netanyahu went to high school in the United States of America. He has, you know, worked very hard on having an American style of speech. You know, one of his main competitors now is a guy named Yair Lapid, who speaks very much in a, thick, heavy Hebrew-Israeli accent that you would recognize as pretty foreign, as white as he looks, right? Where Netanyahu is, you know, very practiced at seeming as American as anything. Even his ambassador, Michael Oren, was an American because that's the best way to represent Israel to the American people is that it's just a bunch of Americans over Got there. Gotta get that money. Yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're on our side. Secure and, the bag. And you know what, too? Like, not to be too crude about it, but And I hate to give talking points to these creeps, but I think there is kind of a subtle kind of understanding, right, that Tel Aviv is minus Tarith, right? This is the outpost, the furthest outpost of the West. And on the other side lies Mordor. On the other side are the brown Islamic barbarian hordes of orcs who are trying to come and destroy the good men of the West. And so then it's our duty to protect them, right? And, of course, there's a lot of Christian Zionism that says that this is all about making sure that Jesus will come back and send all the Jews to hell and the rapture will come and all of that. And there are tens of millions of Americans who see it in that, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely um, through that lens. Um, but, uh I forgot what my original point was. Well, about. you know,
0: you, you started out talking about you and Dave talked a little bit about the, oh, the, the racial racial, the racial part. Right. Yeah. So,
1: so this is it, right? Is that um, you know the Israelis are whiter, the Israelis are essentially identified as part of the West mm-hmm. with us, and on the other side are them. So, if that's the lens, just kind of the basic, that's like step one where you're starting from as an American, right? So now I'm, like, asking you, John, to, like, take the side of the East against the West. Is that what I'm asking of you? To take the side of the brown barbarian Islamic hordes from a separate civilization from yours against your own civilization? That sounds like a pretty big ask. It doesn't sound right, right? Yeah, Why would you that, do that? That's the way they've so
0: that's flipped, the way this, it's right. flipped this argument on its that's head right. upside down.
1: But so, and, and here's the objection to that, right, is Thomas Jefferson. The objection to that is, no, all individual human beings are born with natural rights. That's our first premise. We're not talking about which tribe is which. We're 300 years past the Enlightenment here. 350, right? What are we talking about? Why is it this ethnic tribe versus that ethnic tribe? And why would America be involved in a fight like that? The USA, the land of the Declaration of Independence. It's like, why would we back any monarch anywhere in the world? You're telling me this king of Saudi Arabia, who ain't ceremonial like in Norway or something, but is literally a monarch, is backed by the USA, the red, white, and blue, and the Statue of Liberty, is behind this, not just tyranny, but genocidal, most corrupt tyranny on the planet. These guys fly around abusing prostitutes and snorting coke in their solid gold airplanes at our expense and call themselves kings? And that's who we back? No, but the Palestinians, they're the foreign Arab, horrible Muslim horde. In fact, I saw libertarians um, on Twitter. There was someone uh, had a a picture of leftists and they had a sign that said, queers for Palestine. And then the libertarian caption was, who wants to tell them, guys? The idea being that if anyone was gay in the West Bank or Gaza, that everybody knows that they would be stoned to death. Is that what you think? No, that's Saudi Arabia that America supports, okay? That's not the Palestinians. The Palestinians don't murder people for being gay. Who wants to tell them? Who wants to tell you, you dumb bastard? Out there spreading propaganda around, you don't know the first thing of what you're talking about. Oh, it's them, thar, brown libertarians over there. I mean, brown uh, uh, Islams over there somewhere. Who could differentiate between a Palestinian and a Jordanian and an Egyptian and an Afghan, you know, or even the seven different kinds of Afghans or whatever? Most people, you you put a map
0: of the Middle East without countries,
1: people would have no idea where anything was. Yeah, seriously. What if, let's say Hamas, I don't, I honestly, I don't know what Hamas's policy, I don't think they imprison people for being gay. I've never heard of that, but let's say that they do. Okay. And I'm the one who's ignorant here. So gay Americans should not support the human rights of all Palestinians when they're being killed by the Israelis, because if they went to Gaza and were gay, they would go to jail or something. That doesn't make any sense anyway. Doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like who wants to tell him? Like this is all you need to know. Is that and and and, and what's funny about this too, right? Is these are right wing libertarians mocking these leftists with this left wing PC.
0: Well, it's the tribe. You know, it's the tribalism. The tribalism. Points,
1: See, oh, that's right. not your tribe. There, they don't support your tribe. So why would you support them? But if you look at who usually does that, right? It's the liberals. These, you know, being libertarian, at being libertarian, is parroting the liberals. And what the liberals do is what's called pinkwashing. Where they hold a big gay rights parade right after they slaughter a bunch of Gazans. And then they go, oh, look how tolerant and wonderful we are. It's the only democracy in the Middle East, if you don't count the fact that fully half the population has no rights whatsoever. And no representation whatsoever. Oh, but no, around here, guys give each other bro jobs all day long and we don't punish them for it wow how sweet and they even had i think it was uh it was just an ad i don't think it was real but it was an ad where they like painted up an israeli f-16 all pink and said like this is our big gay feminist you know fighter jet and whatever this is called pink washing this is how cynical murderers manipulate idiots hmm And then that's what I got to read from people calling themselves libertarians, mocking leftists for sticking up for the human rights of a baby because, uh uh, because I think I heard somewhere that being gay will get you in trouble in Palestine, maybe. Give me a break, dude. It's sickening. And it goes to show, really, right, the cognitive dissonance, right, where people just grasp at straws to do anything they can. They'll break their spine, bending over backwards to figure out a way to justify themselves and not have to admit that they were wrong. You know what? If I walk up, me and Dave were talking about this, right? You walk up to a fist fight, you don't know who started it. Maybe one guy's black and one guy's white. You happen to be white, as they say. Happens to be black. One guy happens to be black. <sighs> Well, so like you identify more with the white guy and hold him more innocent and presume the black guy started it? No, that's stupid, right? Why would you do that? In fact, if you walked up and saw your own little brother in a fist fight, you might take his side and then beat his ass yourself later and and know that he was the one causing trouble, even if you have to take his side because he's your brother. That doesn't make him innocent. Your brother gets in fights all the time, right? Come on. You know, it's like you're supposed to like George W. Bush because he's a Texan. You're supposed to like Barack Obama because he's from Illinois. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? It's I'm, completely I'm stupid. I'm supposed to like Joe Biden because he's from Pennsylvania? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because he's from the, the uh, senator from the credit card companies. In yeah. 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 Um, yeah you know, uh, I don't like reactionary politics in Man. any direction. You know, partisanship just makes people stupid. I will not let that shit work Man. on me yet.
0: I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Scott, but I did have one more question. I heard you talk about this. I forget what podcast, but Vaccine Passports came up. Yeah. And you didn't seem to think that it's something that's going to happen. At least it might have been months ago. Yeah. but Yeah, it, was it, it, that was Pete's show. Is that still your
1: view? Or, you, or do you think that? Because it seems like it might be trending in that direction, honestly. You know what? I, I will concede to you that you know more about it than I do, especially like current um, discussion of it. But my impression was that the initial reaction was absolutely not. It's, I mean, look, the reality is it's totally unenforceable. You're
0: you're in Texas. Texas, I don't think it would ever happen,
1: but. Right. I mean, there are some states that would try it, but it's essentially unenforceable. You're going to have people who just refuse to go along with it. And you're going to have, by and large, the way it's going to work very quickly. And I think that people even just did this as a thought experiment and realized very quickly that it's going to be extremely prejudiced against poor people and against minorities. And in fact, right before they had the first big kind of trial balloon about it, just like a week before that, I think, maybe it was just a couple of days before that, the New York Times ran a big story, almost certain it was the New York Times. Yeah, it was the New York Times ran a really big story about blacks don't trust government medicine. And you like to think American blacks are socialists and all this, but that's not really true. They're right wing Democrats. They supported Hillary and Biden, not Bernie Sanders. Right? They're Christians and they're essentially right. conservatives. But Republicans hate their guts, so they're definitely not Republicans. You know what I mean? But they're essentially on the conservative side of the. They could easily become libertarians, right? I, I, mean. would, I would like to hope so. Absolutely, but. Um, You know, people presume that they all just want to line up and get government medicine. But there's a real history of government medicine treating blacks very badly in this country. And in fact, they had a quote in there where a guy said, and honestly, I think this particular fear was unfounded in this context. But still, like, you can't ignore it. The guy goes, wait a minute. So you're telling me that the vaccine you want to give me is the same one the rich people are getting? I don't believe that. Why would I believe that? I don't ever get anything that's the same thing as what the rich people get. But this time, you're going to give me the highest quality one. I'm not letting you put that needle in me. I don't trust you. And there's nothing you can do to make me believe you, right? Like, we're already at a place where I know how it works around here. Where the reality is, the Moderna vaccine is the Moderna vaccine wherever you go, right? As long as you keep it cold enough or whatever. It doesn't really make a difference. But in this guy's mind's eye... Why? How could he ever believe that? Well, you see, Donald Donald Trump gets COVID. He's in the right. hospital. Well, gets they gave every, him the full every single treatment. treatment he did, and, yeah. right, all, the, all the medicines, everything they could. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely has a point there, right? That he would not get like the full, uh, even upper middle class people don't get the kind of treatment that Donald yeah. Trump and the very richest people would get. Absolutely. Um, and so, but then, so what does that mean, right? That means that overall, in broad numbers, you're going to have significant populations of especially poorer black americans who refuse to do this refuse to get the vaccine take their chances with the germ instead and that's their decision to make but now you're going to tell them they have to have an app on their phone and prove that they had a vaccine to be allowed to go anywhere that's just not going to work and right away in implementation right not not because it was designed this way with this in mind but in fact, it would be racist in its implementation. Absolutely. And so and it's the Democrats who are going to do that. And they're going to say, well, listen up, black people, until you get your vaccines, you're never going to be able to go out to dinner or go to the movies or go into. You can go to the grocery store, but you can't go to the hardware store or some kind of crazy. Scheme. Or you have to right?
0: st- you have to stand on this side in the grocery store and the next hold. <laughs> it's insane. It's just yeah. not
1: going to hold, man. And it's and and you know what? You've been in an airplane this country's just too damn big for that, man. 330, 340 million people now. I mean, even the the state of Texas is an empire itself, man. It's, you know, there's like 10,000 towns in Texas. You gonna enforce a passport to go about your daily business. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Nobody's going to respect it. Nobody's going to go along with it. It's dead on arrival, like the Obama's, let's you know, carpet bombed Damascus in 2013. That was what Dave said. It's just like, let's bomb Syria. Hey, everybody, let's bomb Syria. Yeah. No, how about let's not? Yeah. Okay. And then they backed down because they had to back down. And and I'm not saying, and I I was specific about this in the interview with Pete too, that I'm not saying people shouldn't care about this, people shouldn't yell and scream about this, people shouldn't make their voices known about it. That's what's working. That's the point. Is it's the opposition, it's the oh, don't even fucking try it attitude that will prevent it from even being tried. So it also could be like a a test. They're seeing, oh,
0: will they take this now? Will they take it?
1: Let's see it out there, they'll test it. Oh nope, they're not ready for it. They're not ready for it right now. And as Dave was pointing out yesterday, that look, we're at the point where anybody who wants the vaccine can get. Get it? In fact, at this point, anybody who ever wanted the vaccine has already gotten it, right? And the demand for, virtually, and the demand for it is steadily decreasing. At that point, hey man, if you want the vaccine, you got it. And if you don't want it, you don't. And so the people who don't want it are taking their risks. And the people who do want it are taking their risks. And I think now we can go back about our day, right? Because if you're vaccinated and I'm not, well, what the hell do you care? You're vaccinated, right? And so, You know, not that it's 100% foolproof, but guess what? A lot of shit ain't 100% foolproof. You know, we drive around in cars and trucks all day. You ever think about how insane that is? Especially when you're not driving. You ever ride shotgun in somebody else's truck and you're like, oh my God, dude, this is dangerous. (laughs) Look at like uh, shopping
0: centers, parking lots. I'm always amazed more people aren't killed in parking lots. Like the way people drive. By the way,
1: public service announcement. If your kid is under five feet tall, whole four and a half, Hold their hand in yes, a parking lot for God's sake. Please. I see people all the time not God, hold their man. kids' hands. And I just cringe myself to death like, oh, my God. Dude. Uh, Boy, yeah, that's that's scary stuff. Anyway.
0: But, yeah, Scott, you know I've taken I don't know, 40 minutes of your time. Thanks for being so gracious, Happy man. Happy to do it. Dude, plug plug away. Plug all your stuff. Let people know. If anyone doesn't know who you are, I didn't introduce you, but now they know.
1: Yeah, sorry. Um, so uh, antiwar.com is the most important project on the Internet, and I'm the editorial director there. And I really mean that. We have so many great writers for you guys, man. Antiwar.com every morning. If that's all I could say, it would be that. But I'll ramble on. Libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director there. And I'm partners with the great Sheldon Richman, the heroic and legendary Sheldon Richman, and uh, also the extremely radical and provocative libertarian fire starter Pete Quinones, and uh, also the heroic Kyle Anzalone who uh, also works for antiwar.com as opinion editor there. And we got a whole great crew of podcasters besides that and tons of great articles, excellent writers, Jim Bovard and Lori Calhoun and all these great writers. That's libertarianinstitute.org. And we publish books. One of Will Griggs called no quarter, the ravings of William Norman Grigg Two by Sheldon Richmond coming to Palestine, which I could not recommend higher. You really want to know about this stuff? libertarians especially read it from sheldon richmond man you can't do better than that okay coming to palestines just 200 pages you'll knock it out i swear it's worth it okay and then uh he also wrote this oh man most people don't know about this it didn't get nearly enough um kind of play but it should have i uh, put out we put out a book last year sheldon's a collection of essays it's called what social animals owe to each other and this is as good of a collection of essays of libertarian thought on all issues that you could ever find anywhere. Comparable to the best Rothbard, the best anything you've ever read. It's the legendary Sheldon Richmond. What social animals... William Graham Sumner, uh, 120 years ago or so, wrote a book called What Social Classes Owe to Each Other. So this is a takeoff on that. What social animals owe to each other. In fact, Sheldon has this thing. I don't know if he originated this. I think he did. He says, for him, it's not the, it's not the non-aggression principle. It's the non-aggression obligation. This is something that you owe other people like to not aggress against them. And that's the way he phrased it. And then oh, the book is just fantastic. You know, I edited the thing. I just read through it one time. had very few changes to make, but I just read through the thing. And just, God, it's as good as the best libertarian material you've ever read in your life. Swear to God. Sheldon Richmond, What Social Animals owe to Each Other. And then two, three of mine. The Great Ron Paul is uh, my collection of all my transcripts of all my interviews of Ron Paul and a speech I gave about how much I love the guy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, 2004 through 2019 there. And then, um, my, uh, the books I wrote are Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism is the new one. And I'm on the radio on Sunday mornings on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. And, uh, speaking of which, I have 5,500 interviews in the archives at (laughs) scotthorton.org.
0: You are a machine, man. That is I've been at this for a little while.
1: What what year did you start? 2003, 2003. right? Three days after Baghdad fell. The first one was uh, Alan Bach from antiwar.com about Iraq War II was the start of it.
0: And you have not stopped since then, not even for a minute.
1: Yeah. In fact, if you look at the archives, the first one at the very bottom of the list is David Thibodeau, the surviving Branch Davidian from 1999 from my very first radio show, Say It Ain't So on Free Radio Austin. So that's going back to the 90s there. But everything else there is from 2003.
0: The great Scott Horton, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. Thank
1: you, man.
0: Hope you guys really enjoyed that interview with Scott Horton. I really enjoyed getting to talk with Scott and uh, learn, as always. I'm always learning from Scott, um, whatever he's talking about. So it's always a a pleasure for me to really conducting the interviews is an overstatement. It's uh, just really listening to Scott talk, and I enjoy it as much as you do. So also tomorrow, guys, if you like this, you're going to love tomorrow's episode. Um, Brian on Electric Liberty Land, Brian McWilliams, of course, has uh, Thaddeus Russell and Hotep Jesus in a a conversation that he had after an event out in uh, California. So this is event week on, on Lions of Liberty. So hope you enjoy it. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and please do consider joining the pride and uh taking us up on that Vin armani mystery school offer all right guys that is all i got hope you all have a great day peace